You're welcome to another time of fellowship with the Word. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, God's perspective about the believer. I trust we've been having a great time in studying and in understanding the mystery of God's will. I would like to read a scripture for us today before we begin. Acts of the Apostle, chapter 18, and a bit from chapter 19. When Paul was in Corinth in chapter 18, verse 8, Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Nine, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he, that's Paul, continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Acts 19 verse 1 And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And he said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. 9. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but speak evil of that way that the Christian feet before the multitude, he departed from them, that's from the synagogue, and separated the disciples, disputing daily or teaching daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. One of the interesting facts I want to bring out is the teaching ministry of Paul. In Corinth, where God said he had much people, he was able to teach here for one year and six months. In Ephesians, he stood there and taught for two good years. After he had taught three months in the synagogue. Why is teaching so important? Why does Paul give more room to teaching? The answer lies in Acts chapter 26 verse 15. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of the things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and in Inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. I was Paul opening the eyes of the Gentiles by teaching. You have to know that teaching is important. If you even look at the book of Acts 19 closely, you see that the Bible said he disputed with them daily. He taught them daily for two good years. So he was teaching in Ephesians every day for two good years. 
That shows to you that what we have come to receive in the Lord cannot be explained by one hour of teaching. It cannot be explained by one month of teaching. It cannot be explained by a few minutes of just reading scriptures. Do you know how many hours Paul would have used? Let's assume that he had even used one hour each day to teach the Ephesians about the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you multiply one hour for 365 days, you have 360 hours. Add another 360 to that. Think about how many hours was invested if we are assuming that Paul taught for one hour which I doubt because his letters even show that he is a man of content. Think about how much investment he had upon the people of Ephesians. And after he had taught them so much, he have the gods to even write an epistle to them. Paul had so much to say to these people. That's why he wrote a letter to them. You ask yourself, so what was Paul teaching them for two good years? There are some of the things that I am now unveiling to you. Because I'm sure Paul would have taught them these things extensively. So what you read in the letter is a summary. How do I know it's a summary? Look at Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery Look at what is written in brackets. He said, as I wrote afore. Afore there is to say, as I wrote before, in few words. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Close bracket. So what you read in chapter 1, what you read in chapter 2, is just Paul writing to the Ephesians in few words. So they were a summary. This was not an extensive teaching. This was just a summary of what the Holy Ghost has put in the heart of Paul. And I'm sure Paul would have taught this extensively so that the believers can now have an understanding. And that is why the churches like Ephesians and Corinthians where Paul have stayed back for years to work. The Bible said they come short in no gifts. Jesus, as he was speaking to the church of Ephesus, he also told them that they have labored, that they have tested those that are not apostles and find them to be liars based on the strength of the work that one man, which is Paul, have done in that church. That you sing a song or that you listen to a message for 30 minutes or 20 or one hour is not enough to come to the knowledge of what we are saying. We've been studying the book of Ephesians from chapter 1 of verse 1 and we've not even been able to exhaust this yet. So that when you read, you can now have a rich understanding of where God is coming from. And that is why I fought this new generation of believers that they are claiming that uh, you don't need to read the Old Testament. If you don't need to read the Old Testament, you don't understand context. How do you know that the scriptures are fulfilled if you don't read the Old Testament? Paul read from the Old Testament. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament. Peter quoted from the Old Testament. James quoted from the Old Testament. How do you have a full understanding of salvation if you don't read the Old Testament? I don't subscribe to that. And that's why the beauty of salvation only comes alive when you know that God has written a script, which is the law. Now, I'm using that to say to you emphatically that you have to bury your head in scripture. Study, 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 study. That's how you come to maturity in Christ Jesus. 
Let's read Ephesians from verse 1 of chapter 1. We will be dealing with another part of that inheritance today. I've told you that God is our inheritance as we've seen in the scriptures. And this inheritance, we've already received it. If you read 2 Corinthians 6 and 16, what relationship had Christ with Belial? And he talks about the promise that we have that God will be our father and we shall be his sons and daughters. Find all these things that this is the inheritance where God chose us to be his and we can call God has as well. But that is the first inheritance. We have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, we, the other inheritance is what we'll be looking at today from the book of Ephesians, from chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he had made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he had abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he had proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times it might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 12, he said that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. 13, in whom also you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. From verse 13, he said, in whom also we have trusted. I like the fact that the Bible used the word. This word was imported there. It was not there in the original manuscript. But if you read it together, it makes a lot of sense. Because in whom also you trusted, that's you that have accepted Christ, the efficiency, and you and I, we've trusted. Who have we trusted? We've trusted in Jesus Christ. After that, we heard the word of truth. What is the word of truth? He said the gospel of our salvation. In whom also that we believed. I like the word trusted and believed. You see, when we trusted in the saving ability of Jesus, that Jesus can save us, that we believed in the saving work. Now, when we believed in the saving work, we were saved. And when we were saved, we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. For you to understand what Paul was saying here, I want to go back to the Old Testament to show you that in Genesis 17, I'll read a covenant that God had with Abraham for you. Genesis 17, 9. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you, and thy seed and after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. 
and he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in a house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Verse 14, And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He had broken my covenant. You'll find words like circumcision in the flesh. You'll find words like eighth day. Eighth day talks about a new beginning. Let's go back to Ephesians. So he's saying that when we trusted in Christ, that Christ is able to save us. When we trusted what Christ had done, we now believe that Christ is able to save us. So we receive the gospel of our salvation and we believe. And he said, immediately you are sealed or marked or inscribed upon this Holy Spirit of promise. So the signature that a man is saved is the Holy Spirit. Just the same way that the children of Israel had to be circumcised always on the eighth day, which signifies new beginning had to be circumcised so that they can be counted as the children of Abraham. In the same vein also, when we believe God and when we are born again, God also marked us with the Holy Spirit to say that now you are mine. Now you belong to me. Now I have you to myself. We also read before that the Holy Spirit also sanctifies a believer. That is to set him apart. That a man is also set apart by the word of God. A man is set apart by the name of God. So you find all these things that after we've received the word of God, God now puts that mark upon us, which is the Holy Spirit, and said, now you are my own. You are my inheritance. You belong to me. After that, we receive God can now say, you are my people. The Holy Spirit is that sign of a covenant relationship. Never forget that. That the Holy Spirit is a sign of a covenant relationship. Just the same way the circumcision is a sign of a covenant relationship that God had with Abraham and his seed, so also the Holy Spirit is a sign of a covenant relationship that exists between us and God. So that you can fully be aware. So as long as you have the Holy Ghost, God has a covenant with you. And what is that covenant that God will not leave us, that God will not forsake us until he has accomplished that which he has given to us. The Bible said he will give us the Holy Spirit that will abide with us how he said forever. So the Holy Spirit is given to the believer forever because it is a sign of what? Of the covenants and promises of God. So as long as Abraham's children had that circumcision with them, they are recognizing the fact that lord you promise our father that there's a covenant relationship with us and there are certain promises that are based upon that covenant relationship so also the holy spirit in god is a signature that god has made a covenant relationship with us that it will not leave us that there is a work which is working in us that's why the holy spirit is called the power that worketh in us mightily that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 3 that we strengthen us according to his spirit in our inner man. So the Holy Spirit for the believer is a mark of circumcision. Is a mark that God has taken possession of you. If you are a surveyor, there's a number that is given to cornerstone or your corner piece. 
and that number is distinct. When someone delays a foundation, for example, in such a way that everybody knows that ah, this is the work of so, so, and so. This is the work of these people or that. So as well, God has placed his number and his signature upon us. His signature is the Holy Spirit. To say that he have us to himself. And when you now read this, he said, he have given us the Holy Spirit of promise. If you look at Philippians chapter 3 from verse 1, you will find I say, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of disconcision. Another word for circumcision. He said, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirits and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Circumcision is that of the spirit. If you read the book of Romans chapter 2 from verse 28, you are going to see that the Bible says that for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So circumcision, as we can see, is that which takes place in the spirit. So any man that was not circumcised in the lineage of Abraham does not belong to the lineage of Abraham. So also anyone who is not circumcised by the Spirit, I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit here. And when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe, the Spirit comes to bear witness of that work. And that's why I quoted the scripture that said that we have received the Spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So because we know that we are now sons of God, the Spirit now bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So I'm not talking about baptism here. I'm talking about the believing experience and the Holy Ghost coming into your heart. When you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit to say you are now part of God's family. Now, if you look at the scripture in Romans chapter 8 verse 4, he said that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, for the spirit is life because of righteousness. So you see, if we go down in bits to verse 15, you see, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 16, the spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified. Anybody that does not have the Holy Spirit of God does not belong to God. Cannot say that he is an inheritance of God. Or see God as his own inheritance. 
This is an inheritance that is meant for sons. This is a family inheritance. Just like in those days, the inheritance was transferred within the family. So this is an inheritance that we've had in Christ. Now, if you now go back to Ephesians chapter 1 again to look at uh, what we are looking at. He said, we receive the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So which means that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of something that we are still to receive. Though that inheritance has been purchased, but we've not received it yet. But the Holy Spirit is a down payment of it. Now, this talk about an inheritance which we will receive. It talks about this inheritance in a futuristic sense. If you look at verse 11, you see here that one, it talks about we have obtained an inheritance. But if you look at verse 14, it said there is a down payment for an inheritance that has already been purchased. So showing that there is one that we have presently, which is like I said to you, is our relationship with God that we can call God our own and God can call us his own. That we can say God is our father and God can call us children. And he said that the Holy Spirit has to be given as a down payment of this inheritance. So this inheritance has been purchased, but we've not received it. If I'm going to, for example, buy a TV, I walk to a store and I say, I want to buy um, a TV and I give them, maybe the TV is worth 70,000 era, but all the cash I have with me is 30,000. I will put that down and say, take, this is a down payment. I'm going to the ATM point, I'm going to withdraw and come back and balance you. Maybe when I'm coming back from work, I'll be able to balance you that money. That 30000 I've given to you is a down payment, an assurance, a guarantee that I will come back to balance you the remaining. In other words, it's a down payment for you to know that I am serious about that matter. That I had the intention to come and redeem the TV from your hand when I paid the remaining 40000 naira. So the person that owes that money knows that I cannot run away and definitely I'm going to come back because I've given something of value to you. Now, in the same vein, the Holy Spirit is like that down payment that you give them. So God gives us a down payment to say, have this for now. This is a foretaste of what I'm going to do. This is a foretaste of an inheritance that is to come. So the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. So there is an inheritance which we have not received. Although it has been purchased by Jesus Christ, yet we have not received it. But the Holy Spirit is always in our heart confirming to us that if God has given us the Holy Spirit, how shall he not give us other good things? So it is the down payment. I'm shocked at the way that believers thought that they've received everything from God. That we already have everything from God. The desire not to look forward to the words to come. The desire to be comfortable with this world. Not to see a need to look forward to the hope that is ahead of us. Many believers also know that there are many hope that is ahead of us. There are many things attached to our hope and our calling in Christ Jesus. And one of those essential things is this hope that the Bible is talking here. That is saying that the inheritance that has been purchased, but which we have not received yet. I will begin the next episode on this basis, having this understanding that there is an inheritance that Jesus Christ has purchased for us, but which we have not received. But the Holy Spirit is bearing witness in our hearts that someday we will receive this inheritance. Why have we not received the inheritance? It has to do with the fullness of time. We are going to see that in the scripture that we will be flipping through in the next episode to discuss that. 
So thank you for listening. I hope you are also doing personal study along this line to also come to the knowledge of truth. And may the Lord bless you. My name is Paul Aremoluwa. Do have a great day.